Welcome to the last uh, workshop for church revitalization for the year as we kind of head into General Assembly. Um, after that, uh, I'm sure we'll have some new direction and there'll be new resources and some of those kinds of things I think available for you guys. And you'll, uh, you'll see at the end of this presentation that uh, Brian, um, who's been with us all the way along, he's going to uh, send a follow-up email out to everybody, kind of letting you know where to find resources on the website, as well as um, sending you guys a list of books that um, our team has kind of found helpful over the years. Uh, and it'll be, you'll, you'll find that that list of books is as diverse as our team. <laughs> we all kind of have, you probably have noticed, we all kind of take different approaches and hopefully that's encouraging. There's not a one size fits all for this whole thing, but um, yeah, you'll get some good resources you can check out and take a look at and hopefully they're helpful. Um, and I'm sure the conversation, like I said, will continue to go um, in, the, in the months and years ahead because the challenge of church revitalization certainly isn't going away. So um, but glad you guys are all engaged in it for sure. Are we going to be able to get uh, copies of the various diagrams and charts and graphs and whatnot that uh, I think Mike prepared most of them and uh, that those kind of things, just, just a copy that we can kind of, uh, um, you know, show to our, uh, our sessions. Yeah, I believe various, so. Uh, meetings that we've had. Yeah, um, Mike, can you make make sure just to connect with Brian after today and make sure that also gets included? Oh, Brian's sending us a note through the chat that all of those are on the website. Wow. If you look at the epc.org under church revitalization workshop, all of those things are posted. You feel free to take all of that. None of that's proprietary. I don't think Mike's handwritten diagrams are proprietary. <laughs> so Mike, are, are, you, are you okay with that? If people- I, I do accept, I'll accept tips. But uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, right. we haven't monetized any of it. Yes, we have not. That's correct. We have not monetized any of it. All right. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and get started, everybody. Um, you know, welcome back to um, the final edition of our church revitalization sort of workshop. If you've been with us all along. You know that we kind of got kicked off talking about the revitalization of the pastor. And then we looked at the revitalization of the session. And then the last couple of uh, of workshops, we've looked at the revitalization of the congregation and how to how to lead that. Um, today, what we thought we'd do is we kind of wrap up is really talk about um, change dynamics and how to lead change. You know, so much of what we're talking about when you talk about church revitalization, you're talking about managing change, and that that isn't always easy. And so we'll talk about some of the things that we've learned along the way, some of the key things for us that have been really helpful. Again, my name is Doug Ressler. I'm the senior pastor at Parker. Uh, Evangelical Presbyterian Church uh, south and east of Denver. And joining me today is Bryn McPhail, who is at St. Andrew's Kirk in the Bahamas, and Mike Wright, who is uh, at Littleton Christian Church here in the Denver area as well. John Mabry sends his greetings, but he was not able to join us uh, from Louisiana, although he definitely had input to what we'll present today. Um, what, where we thought we would begin is just talking about, anytime you talk about change, um, you know, of course, people start doing, you know, their, st their stomachs start to turn over, people start sweating and freaking out and all kinds of things. And so the most important thing you can do um, in, 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 as you lead change is make sure that you keep your identity rooted in Christ. So Mike's going to kind of get us started by talking about that. And specifically, how do you stay rooted in Christ as you navigate, again, all of the different dynamics you've got to navigate? And then we'll, um, just like we've done the last few times, we'll throw it into some breakout rooms with some questions to, you know, prompt discussion, then we'll come back and I will lead a workshop or lead a, a little bit of brief time on specifically how to lead change and manage change dynamics 
within uh, a congregation. And then Bryn's gonna kind of wrap it up uh, at the end by talking about overcoming barriers and, and give you guys some tools to overcome barriers or resistance to change. Not that any of us have ever faced resistance to change, of course, but theoretically at least, right? Um, anyway, so um, Mike, why don't you get us rolling, brother? Talk to us about um, identity in Christ, especially as it relates to managing change or leading change in a congregation. Great. Thanks, Doug. And uh, thanks all of you who have been a part of this workshop over the year. This is, um, this is not how we thought it was going to go. We actually, uh, our team was pulled together to do a one-day workshop at last year's General Assembly. And that one-day workshop has turned into all of these um, uh, digital meetings and uh, have gotten to know this team uh, really well. Doug, thanks for your leadership. And uh, I've really appreciated the ways that many of you have shared um, vulnerably and struggled and continue to show up. It's That's great. Um, so thank you for doing that. Um, so when you, when you get the resource um, sort of collection that Doug referred to a minute ago, there is one overlap that you'll see, and that's on a couple of our lists. You'll see books by Edwin Friedman. And Edwin Friedman uh, was a Jewish rabbi uh, who um, was an expert in something called family systems theory uh, or Bowen theory. And, um, and that sort of spiraled out to a whole field of, of um, leadership philosophy and, and, uh, and um, psychology and counseling, whatever, that's not the point. Uh, the reason that Friedman is uh, really important to uh, both um, Doug and myself, and I think anyone who's really read him, uh, is there's this concept in that theory called um, self-differentiation. Now, you can divorce that concept from Christian theology. And I, frankly, I don't understand how somebody could achieve differentiation without Christ. Um, but we have the, uh, the key that unlocks that thing. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. Um, our identity in Christ as it relates to the vitality of our churches. And here's the reality. It is very hard to separate if you are a leader, a key leader in your church, particularly pastors, but I think, uh, you know, if you're a ruling elder who's showing up to this, that means you are a very involved leader in your church. And it is very difficult to separate your identity in Christ from the vitality or lack thereof in your congregation. It's very, very difficult to do. Even more so, if you look back over you know, your notes or the, all of these sessions that we've put together, it becomes even more challenging when you consider the fact that your vitality and your congregation's vitality are intimately linked to one another. So we have taught over all of these sessions that if your church is devitalized, the first place you need to look is the mirror. That I, I don't want to put it so harshly as it's your fault, but you bear some responsibility, leaders. You bear some responsibility in the vitality of your church. So if we've presented that, it, to, to now come around and start to talk about our identity in Christ, related to that topic, it can get a little bit confusing, especially when you're kind of a, 
a, a linear pragmatic, um, you know, I just want A to lead to B to lead to C thinker. I mean, that's, uh, that's often the, simple, the simplistic way that I deal with things. Um, so we, uh, we often say, as goes the leader, so goes the group. As goes the pastor, so goes the congregation. As goes the session, so goes the congregation. Uh, so how do we understand that in the midst of this whole conversation? It may be true that your vitality and your church's vitality are intimately linked. That, that is true. Uh, however, that is not the same thing as your identity in Christ. That, in fact, the vitality of your church, the success of your church, whatever metric you're using, whatever goal you've set, the success of your church has nothing to do with your identity in Christ, nothing. You may be leaders, you may be a porn addicted, conflict avoidant, sermon stealing, money swindling, gossip passing, charlatan of a leader, you may. If that's the case, you need to resign <laughs> uh, and get help and confess and all of that stuff, but that does not call your identity in Christ into question. Your performance as a leader does not change God's opinion of you one iota. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I know I'm discussing the basics of the gospel here, but it must come back to this, leaders. We must remember this. I'll tell you, in, in my own experience, I have plenty of experience of um, my leadership attempts not working out and it really being my fault. Um, my attempts at bringing life or at, at leading change or whatever. And I can look back and say, well, I dropped the ball in these 10 places. I, I, I have plenty of that experience. And frankly, those experiences are le less uh, dangerous to my identity in Christ than the times that it works, than the times that things really came together. I'll give you a very recent example. Um, two Sundays ago, May 16th, was kind of the, the demasking service of our church. You know, the things changed here in Colorado. There was just, and so, I mean, it was like teenagers on spring break. Everyone's like waving their masks around in the air. Woo, you know, party. There was so much joy in the congregation. People, there were people back who had been gone for a long time. All of that happened. And also, I'm just going to tell you straight up, I preached one of the better sermons I've preached in a long time. I mean, that's just the truth. And, and there was so much positive feedback, and I felt so good about it. And when I got back to my office on Monday to start outlining the, you know, the um, passage for the next week, I had this overwhelming weight on my shoulders because I wanted to live up to what I had just successfully done the day before. I felt the weight of success. Like, how do I keep that going? How can I keep that momentum going? How can I do what I did so well before? I had linked my identity 
to my success as a preacher or to the joy that my congregation had that particular Sunday, that is a problem. If you rise with your church, you will fall with your church. If you rise with the success of your church, you will fall with the failures of your church. Until we separate the two out, we will look to our performance as leaders for what only Christ can give us. We will look to our church to provide the life that only Christ can give us. I found myself in preparation of this in um, Psalm 139. There's a portion of Psalm 139 that is a great consolation to me. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, there you would be. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. So with this in mind, I want to circle all the way back to the first point I tried to make in the first session that we had in revitalization. Our vitality always and only starts with repentance. And I think that that's what this Psalm is actually talking about. David knew the depths of darkness. We all, we know about David's sin and his failures. We know about his pride. And yet he knew that God was with him the whole way. He needed to turn and confess in order to consciously experience the presence of the Lord in those places. I I think this actually connects to the way Jesus summarizes his whole message, the same message that we proclaim week in and week out. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. I think Jesus and Psalm 139 are talking about the same thing. This, the spiritual reality that is described in Psalm 139 takes on flesh in Jesus. It is embodied in him. No matter where we go, no matter how far we drift, no matter how much we struggle as leaders in our church, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how much gossip we pass on accidentally or or not accidentally, whatever, no matter how many commitments we don't follow through on, he's right behind us. Like he follows us all the way to that weak point. The kingdom is always right behind us. It's come near. If I go to the depths, if I go to the heights, it has come near. And if that's true, If that's true, it informs a question that's been lurking in my mind through this whole revitalization discussion. And that question is looking at our churches, looking at our leadership, what's the worst that could happen? What's the absolute worst case scenario? If your answer to what's the worst that can happen is, well, my church could close, then I would suggest to you that your church, your particular church, is occupying a place in your heart that only Jesus deserves. 
And if it is holding that place, you will continually approach these revitalization questions, looking for something to fix that problem so your church can give you the life that you're hoping it will give you. And it can't, it won't. So whether in failure or long-term, dry, arid, difficult, lifeless ministry, or wild success, if our identity is in that, then it, it is deeply dangerous to our spiritual life. So I want to just leave you with this. No matter whether you have a successful month, a successful year, or a, or a difficult month, a difficult year, a difficult Sunday, a difficult meeting, start with repentance. How has the Lord followed you all the way there? And how can you turn to him in that moment? That's it. Thanks, Mike. Uh, appreciate that. And uh, and as you guys head into the breakout rooms, here, here's a, a series of questions that Mike has asked um, just to kind of help you maybe with a little bit of a diagnostic on this. As we all know, COVID, you know, for better, for worse, has been a revelatory season. It's been a revelatory season, I imagine, for us personally. It's been a revelatory season for our churches, for our communities, for our nation, for the world, of course. Um, and so as you kind of think back over the last year and think, or the last 18 months, and think about the challenges you face, think about what's been revealed in your life, here's some questions to kind of just ground, ground you as you kind of process, and we'll process in our groups together. In, in what ways have you been struggling over this past year, year and a half, to remember that your security and identity is in Christ? What, what, in what ways have you been struggling? And, and where, where else have you gone to find your identity if it's not in Christ? Like what, what, are, the, what are the particular temptations you've been you know, pushing towards? Um, if we can become vulnerable in that and share that. Um, what practices have kept you rooted in Christ? You know, what, what practices have kept you tethered when the temptation might be to, to go far afield? Um, what are some challenges or weaknesses that have been revealed in your leadership over this last season? Um, and uh, same thing with your church. What, what challenges or weaknesses have been revealed in your church over this last season? Um, so kind of a series of diagnostic questions. We'll jump into our breakout groups now, Brian, and just encourage you to process any or all of those or others as well that might come up. And uh, we'll come back in about 20, 25 minutes. So Brian, would you go ahead and send us out? Welcome back, friends. Um, great discussion in my group, hopefully in yours as well. Um, we talked a lot about um, just as we emerge from this COVID season, uh, what that reveals about where we put our identity in Christ, where our congregation puts their identity in Christ. And I'm sure all of you are facing challenges just like I am in my own church as people make the decisions to whether they're going to come back or not come back, whether they're going to stay in our church or join another church. Uh, new people coming in from other churches, how do you handle that? Like all of those kinds of things. Uh, one of the things that, um, that we've been processing a lot at my church is, um, you know, as, as sort of COVID revealed kind of the strengths and weaknesses of our congregation, one of the things that we're talking a lot about is as we emerge from COVID, what things are we going to um, bring back? What things are we not going to bring back? And so what we're talking about there is leading change, okay, managing change. And managing change is really, really challenging. Um, it's not easy. Um, and there's, there's different kinds of change. There is what they call technical change, 
Um, and that's like, you know, problems like um, our bulletin needs to be redone or, or uh, you know, things that can be solved pretty easily, pretty superficially. It's more of like a refining of something in the organization. And then there's something called adaptive change. And that requires people to learn new habits or change their values or attitudes uh, or priorities or ways of doing life um, in the church. And friends, COVID is a season of adaptive change, right? I, I don't know how many of you were doing live streaming prior to COVID. We were not, okay? So we had to learn a completely new way of doing things. And it wasn't just a technical change. It was an adaptive change because it, it, it has shaped now some new values for us. Um, prior to COVID, I would have told you we'll never live stream, you know, because we want to keep everything incarnational. But what we discovered through the live stream is that we now are reaching, we've had people come to Christ through our live stream. We are, especially for our homebound members, this has been absolutely life-giving for them. And so we're realizing, gosh, there's actually some good to this, even though I'm not a big fan of it. There's some good things here. That's, again, challenging some of our values and, and forcing us to think in some new ways. Um, as you uh, lead through change, so the first thing you got to do is you got you to understand, like, what kind of change am I actually leading? If it's a technical change, like I'm going to change the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, that's one layer of leadership. If it's adaptive change, like, gosh, we're going to do a whole new way of doing things, like, again, what COVID has sort of forced us all to do, that requires a different kind of change. Um, you may have read or encountered, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to go back and actually read it, uh, a guy by the name of Andy Crouch, who's one of my favorite authors. He wrote a, uh, a, an article way back last spring, March or April, where he talked about how COVID would kind of map out in sort of three different seasons. Um, he said, initially, there's going to be this sense that we're in a blizzard. And if you're in Colorado and there's a blizzard, you don't go outside your home. You kind of hunker down, right? And he said, that's going to last however many weeks, right? And then from there, we're going to move into a season of winter where, sure, you go out from time to time, but you're still kind of more limited. You're not going to be doing all the things that you were doing before. And then from there, you move into what he called a kind of a mini ice age, which he thought would take about 18 months from the time he wrote the article, which has turned out to be basically true on some level, where he said, you're actually going to have to learn to function in almost a new environment, you know, and under, under these restrictions and those kinds of things. And even as we emerge from COVID, I know in our area, um, things are changed, things are, are, are forever changed. There, there's a lot of stuff that will never go back to being what it was. Um, and so we as a church have to, we, we sort of have emerged from this COVID winter, and we're now entering into this new season. And I mean, I, you know, I'm, there's a part of me that wonders, like, is this how Noah felt when he like left the ark after the world had changed? You know, like, what, what do we do? Um, and how do we operate? And how do we disciple people? Um, so you've got to really think about how you, how you do all of that and process how you do all of that. Um, as you lead change, the most important thing um, to remember is that organizations move at the speed of trust. Okay, they move at the speed of trust. If you have a high level of trust in your organization, um, you will be affect, you will be able to effectively manage even adaptive changes, changes to sort of its core life together. If you do not have a lot of trust built up in your organization, uh, you will not be effective at leading change. People will um, assume that there's an agenda. People will not trust you. They will 
Um, they'll push back, they'll fight you on all of those things. And so one of the most critical things you can do um, is as Mike said, number one, make sure that you trust Jesus, you root your identity in Christ. And then you, you, you work in, in build, building relationships with your people. And, and as we come out of COVID, there's the opportunity to do that again, right? To meet with people, to get back into people's homes, to spend time with people, getting to know them again, letting them get to know you again, letting them process the trauma of the last year to 18 months, letting them process the pain of the last year to 18 months. So you have a real opportunity here. And I would say the next year to really build a lot of trust, depending on how you respond um, to your people during this, this season right now, as they are struggling um, with all the emotions that have been building up over the course of the last year, all of their frustrations, all of their pain, all of their heartbreak. And as you as a pastor or a ruling elder walk into their homes and you spend time with them and you do a lot of listening, what you're going to find is that they're going to really start to trust you if they haven't already, or they'll rebuild that trust in you. And down the road, that's going to pay incredible dividends because that's going to be exactly what you're able to tap into as you start to talk about leading change in a congregation. If your church is in need of revitalization, most likely it's in need of some adaptive change, okay? Not just technical change, not just surface level stuff, not just rebranding, not just, you know, uh, a worship pastor with uh, skinny jeans. That's not what we're talking about here. Like that's the easy stuff. We're not talking about worship style. We're talking about deep, um, deep change at a value level, at a vision level. Um, that's if your church is in need of revitalization, that's probably where that change needs to take place. But again, you can only do that if there's a lot of trust built up in you. And so you've got to really work on that. You know, one of the things that we're going to be doing this summer as we emerge from COVID is um, we're going to give our sanctuary a facelift. And we know that when you start messing with people's sacred space, that that's going to be super challenging. Um, and yet we feel like it's the right time to do it. And we've messaged it and we've talked told people, hey, you can feel free to give us feedback and those kinds of things, but that's one big change that we'll be doing uh, this summer at our church. Um, another big change we're doing is there's a lot of church programming that we were doing prior to COVID that we're not going to bring back because COVID has sort of revealed how ineffective it really truly was at making disciples. And so, um, so we're really wrestling as a staff and evaluating as a staff, what are we going to bring back what are we not going to bring back? And if we're not going to bring back stuff, then what are we going to do? What new things are we going to launch or start uh, in terms of programming in order to make disciples? And I would say probably the biggest, that's probably been the biggest learning for us is um, what COVID has revealed about the state of discipleship in our church and how effective we have been or not been as the case may be. Um, as we've had our conversations with folks, the folks who shared with us kind of where they're at and how God is, yeah, how they've walked with God through this season or not walked with God through this season. We've really been able to see some things and learn some things about, again, just how effective or ineffective we have been over the last, you know, 30 years since this church got started. And so we're having lots of conversations about that. And it's really helping us put discipleship and the Great Commission back sort of as the, as the key priority for us. Um, Whereas before, I think there were some things that we were putting energy to and time to and money to that were sort of just sort of, you know, it was, it was, it was just stuff that not related to the Great Commission. It was just keeping church people happy on some level. And, um, and we're not, we're not going to do that as much anymore, uh, if at all anymore. And we're really taking this time to really evaluate a lot of that kind of stuff. Now, we, we can do a lot of that stuff because I've been here 12 years 
My associate pastor has been here 30 years. My executive pastor has been here 30 years. My worship pastor has been here eight. My mission guy has been here 10. So we have a long tenured staff. And that's a real blessing because there's a lot of chips that we have accumulated over that time that we're going to be, you know, playing over the next three months. Um, so we have a lot of trust built up that we're going to tap into over these next three months as we try and lead some of these changes. Um, you may or may not be in that situation. If you're in a situation where you have a lot of trust built up, then you have a lot of, of opportunity, I think, in front of you to make some significant changes and to do it well. If you're new to your church, then I want to encourage you, don't change a thing. Take this next year and really spend some time getting to know your people again, letting them get to know you, okay? And, and let that trust, you know, kind of level, build, 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 build. And then, you know, a year from now or what have you, you'll have the opportunity then to begin to make some of those changes and, and really move in some new directions, okay? Leading changes is really more of an art than a science. Again, people do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so it's vital that you love them and that they experience your love for them through this season. People are tender. They are, they are um, uncertain. They are uncomfortable in all sorts of ways. And COVID has really, has really you know, rocked them. And so be tender with your people and love them through this time. And as you do, again, know that trust will be built and God will be able to use that. Um, uh, the other thing about uh, uh, the other thing about change is that um, again, just kind of going back to the differences between technical and adaptive change. You know, technical problems can be solved by applying sort of just policy changes, procedural changes. Um, you know, it's 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 people doing the same thing, but maybe in more efficient ways, that kind of thing. Adaptive changes force you to discover new ways of actually relating to one another. They force you to um, engage uh, people who might have differences of opinions about different things. And maybe those differences of opinion are pretty strongly held. So it forces you to manage conflict. Okay. And I, you know what, I don't know how you feel about managing conflict. You may be one of those people that uh, has no problem with it. You may be one of these people that runs from it. But um, if you're going to make some real deep-seated changes, uh, know that conflict is a part of that journey. And so Brent will talk more about that in, in, his, uh, in his time when he talks about um, overcoming barriers and resistance and some of those things. But just know that that's a part of the journey as well. It's normal. It really is. It's normal. We got a letter this week from a, a couple that's leaving our church, and it was heartbreaking on some level because we love this couple. And they're really frustrated with, um, they're more on the sort of, they've just let their politics kind of get in the way of their connection to the community. This is a couple that is baptize their kids at our church and their kids have come to faith at our church. They're so deeply connected and they're leaving because they felt like we followed the governor's uh, orders blindly. And, you know, they, they sort of, again, allowed their per political perspective to kind of get in the way. And um, as they, as they interacted with different people on my staff, it was uh, interesting to watch how my staff members sort of reacted in response. And one of the things that I talked to our staff about was I said, look, in this season, we've just got to let people be themselves. They can tell us anything. It's that we're safe to kind of unload on if, if necessary. And this is, again, a part of life in the church. If you're going to lead in the church, you're going to be in these conflicted situations. You're going to have people say things that hurt. And you can't respond. Your, your identity has to be rooted in Christ in such a way that you don't react to that. And instead, you love them through it and you extend grace through it, even when it's not fair uh, and even when it hurts. And so we're, we're managing that, like I said, I'm sure many of you are. Um, the most common source of leadership failure I've experienced, or you know, just in my own experience that I've worked with churches, 
is when leaders try and treat adaptive changes like technical changes, when you misdiagnose. So I wanna be very clear here, coming out of COVID, you're in the season of an adaptive change. Don't misdiagnose this. Don't assume you can go back to life as normal and thrive. You're not, it's not gonna happen, guys. You're gonna have to adapt and you're gonna have to make some deep-seated changes. And I don't know what that is for your congregation, but I imagine all of us will be making those adaptive changes um, as we move forward. That's just what's gonna be required. Um, and so don't make the mistake of, of, of assuming that you can kind of rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic and stay afloat. It's just not gonna happen, okay? So I just wanna encourage you, be bold, be courageous in that. Um, really walk with your sessions, walk with your fellow elders um, through that process. Really identify those things that need to be changed and talk about how you're gonna do it well. How you're gonna build the trust to the point where you can make some of those changes and move forward. As we head into our breakout rooms, just a couple of questions to kind of put in front of you. Um, what ways uh, have, you, have you sought or are you seeking to uh, build trust and confidence? Um, in your leadership, in your congregation, you know, um, yeah, as you've gone through COVID, I know we, we had one person in our, our, our last breakout talk about how the elders called everybody at their church and how that was so well received. That's a great example of building trust and staying connected and letting people know that you love them. So I want to encourage that. Talk about that. Um, as we emerge from COVID, what are some things at your church that you will bring back? What are some things that you will let go of? And have you thought about that? And what kind of change will that, what kind of change is that? Is it technical change? Is it more adaptive change? Um, again, what kind of playing off what we talked about last time, what in this past, what did this past year reveal about what your congregation values the most? Okay. What did they miss the most uh, out from this last season? And, and, and is that affirming to you or is it surprising to you? Did it catch you by surprise? Maybe catch you off guard. Um, and again, what strengths and weaknesses were revealed through COVID and how are you going to try and address those as you move forward uh, in your church uh, as a leader? So kind of put those things in front of you again. How are you seeking to build trust and confidence in your leadership? What things are you going to bring back? What things are you going to let go of? What did this last year re reveal about what your congregation values the most? Was it affirming or surprising? And then finally, what strengths or weaknesses were revealed uh, through this COVID season? How are you going to address those moving forward? So Brian, go ahead and send us out into our breakout rooms for about 25 minutes. Thanks. All right, friends, welcome back. Um, we have one more uh, session here. Uh, as I mentioned, I kind of teed it up for Brent a little bit. He's going to talk a little bit about just barriers um, to, you know, the, the, the changes that we're talking about, the things that we're dialing about. What, what happens when you run into barriers? What happens when you run into resistance? Now, I know Bryn has not had to face that. Erla, his uh, elder who's in my breakout sessions, has convinced me that Bryn walks on water, which doesn't surprise me. But um, he at least has some wisdom for us, I think, on, yeah, what do you do? How do you manage your way through that? So, uh, Bryn, would you uh, get us rolling there, brother? Sure. And, and honestly, the truth is, uh, I I do. I don't walk on water, but I skate on frozen water uh, because I'm from Canada. So we just freeze our water before we walk on it or skate on it. Uh, thanks, Doug. Uh, I've been tasked with talking with you about overcoming barriers to revitalization. Why is that sort of the closing thing? Well, we've spent many months together talking about revitalization and I think we've always said there's no neat and tidy formula for us to follow. And so I'm thinking like an instruction manual. When you feel like you followed every step that was laid out for you, 
and it still doesn't work, isn't it nice when the instruction manual has a troubleshooting section and, and you say, okay, if this happens, do this and so forth. So I feel like this is just a little bit of the troubleshooting section. So I started to make a list of barriers that I could think of that would hinder or prevent revitalization in a congregation. And the list was pretty long. And I thought, I don't want to fire hose you guys with, you know, 30 barriers to revitalization. So I think just about all the ones I could think of fit under two headings or two barriers. Barriers related to culture and barriers related to complexity. Hmm. So barriers related to culture tend to be more people related, uh, relates to personnel, gaps in volunteerism, aversion to change, uh, unduly being tethered to your past and the way you used to do things decades ago. So culture uh, would be one major barrier under which there's a whole bunch of people related things. And, and then the second would be complexity, and that's more structural. It's, it's the offering of programs you have, the number of committees, how you populate committees and programs, and, and so forth. So I want to begin with, with culture, and I hope you'll, you'll forgive me. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Buffalo Bills in the NFL, and they're finally having some good seasons. I see some thumbs down, but I press on. So they're finally having some good seasons. And the coach, Sean McDermott, was asked, what have you done to change the culture of the locker room? Because a lot of sports teams will tell you that the culture of the locker room hugely impacts your performance on the field or the ice rink or whatever the surface is. And Sean McDermott, the coach of the Bills, said, he doesn't work on culture. He says he works on putting the right players on the team. Because if you have players of a particular character, the culture will look after itself. Yeah. So culture is a function of character, either individual or collective. Mm -hmm. and, and so one of the things we have to be most careful with if we're gonna minimize the barriers to revitalization, re revitalization is do we have the right people in place? Do we have people of godly repute? Do we have people who have a mature, vibrant walk with the Lord? The, yeah. the character of a person and the character of your groups and leadership groups, it's going to set the culture. Now, I'm thinking this through and I'm, and I'm thinking, well, Sean McDermott has it kind of easy because it's a business and you can be a little more harsh with who you release from the team and who you bring on the team. But I think most of the teaching elders here will say, we got who we got. You know, the people are here for better or for worse. And we might be able to shuffle the deck chairs, to use Doug's illustration, but a lot of the people we have, a lot of the personnel we have are the people we have. And so then how do we over, if some of our people contribute to being a barrier for growth, what do we do? So 
if you were on the workshop the first time I did this, some of this is going to be repetitive. And, and Doug, without using the phrase, really emphasizes this relational proximity. Relational proximity. If you cannot take people out of a position, if you can't move them out of where they're blocking the way, uh, then relational proximity is important. So where do I get this from? Um, I haven't read Canoeing on Mountains. It sounds like a great book and, I, and I'm probably gonna read it. Um, but this is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul talks about sharing the gospel and our lives because you had become very dear to us. So Paul talks about sharing the gospel and sharing our lives because you had become very dear to us. Uh, I, I feel like I want to quote Doug again. What did you say, Doug? People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the Apostle Paul was really good, maybe not so much with the Galatians, but with most of his letters, he was very good at conveying his deep concern and love and affection for those whom he ministered to. So in my mind, that's one of the biggest keys to overcoming barriers to revitalization is gaining relational proximity. That's even harder in a pandemic. Earl Bethel on the Zoom call is one of our key leaders. And I had lunch with her the other day for the first time in what, 16 months? So that goes against all my values as a pastor, because in, here's one of my, here's my quotables. Always have lunch with somebody. Oh, never have lunch alone. Always have lunch with somebody. Uh, we have busy schedules, but if you're like me, you need to eat three meals a day. So why not at least have one meal a day with someone from your church? It builds relational proximity. With others, it'll be coffee meetings. Uh, I, I like, again, I'm picking on Doug, but what he talks about the session being the best small group in the church. And one of the things they do is after they've met and prayed together, they go out for a drink together. That's building relational proximity. Then if you're dealing with change aversion, I'm watching the clock. Uh, I'm, I'm at about seven minutes in change aversion. I look for permission, not buy-in. Uh, I was meeting with someone who's a real estate guru in Houston, Texas. He's here in Nassau. And he affirmed there's three types of buyers when there's a condominium going up. There's people who will buy a condominium just by looking at the blueprints. Others will, it's half built and then they'll buy. And then there's a third group that won't buy the condominium until the whole thing is 100% done. You have all those people in your church. And if you wait for the third group, you're not going to get a lot done and you're not going to feel revitalized. So look for permission, not buy-in. And the way you get permission is by putting a time frame, saying, we're going to try this out. And if it doesn't work after three months, six weeks, whatever the time frame is, say, I promise we'll stop doing this thing. And, and so you, you experiment with a time frame and you just get permission. And if it goes well, you get buy-in later. 
Uh, I, I haven't even touched on complexity, so I'm going to have to fire through this quickly. Oh, Brent, Brent, uh, again, this yeah, is yeah, Brent, go ahead and do that. I mean, I think that's a really important thing, and we can spend 15 minutes in our breakout sessions here. So go ahead and do that. I think that's important. Okay, and and part of this is testimonial. So on the level of too many committees, many of you have heard the story. St. Andrews Kirk, when I arrived in 2010 had average attendance on Sunday morning of 50 to 60 people, 50 to 60 people, and they had 14 committees, 14 committees. It was, pardon me early, it was insane. And we navigated the change and we got it down to four committees. And then a few years later, we eliminated all committees together. What we have now is session, a board of deacons and what I call task forces. And the reason, and it's not just semantics here because a task force is charged with a specific task. And when the task is complete, you don't need the task force anymore. Whereas a committee has a connotation of permanence to it. And, and so it was a key thing for our vitality to go from 14 committees to four committees to no committees with session deacons and task force, it contributed to our vitality to simplify, I call it organizational simplicity, organizational simplicity. It was huge at just clearing some of the way for us. Uh, some of you have also heard when I pastored in Toronto, my church had 24 elders. Uh, I, it, was, it was, I can say it because I'm not in Toronto, it was the worst. If, if any of you have 24 elders, let me know and I will pray for you every day. It's too hard to navigate change, to overcome barriers to revitalization when your session is enormous. You need simplicity. Uh, our, I don't know what our attendance is anymore because we, we still have restrictions, uh, but we have seven elders and in 11 years here, we've only added two elders. So we've been very lean organizationally, and I, and I think that's helped. Uh, the last thing I'll say about uh, complexity to simplicity, and I gave this example with, with my colleagues last week when we met. So I'm from a fruit farming, can a fruit farming family in Canada, and so I love fruit trees. So in my backyard, I've got banana trees, avocado trees, lime trees, mango trees, sea grapes, trees, you name it. And it, it took me a while, even though I'm from a farming family, it took me a while to appreciate the value of a deep prune. And I'm learning that the more I cut my trees, the healthier they are. And I guess there's a science behind this that the nutrients, if there's less branches to go to, and if the branches aren't as long, the nutrients don't have to go as far and they're not spread thin. And it was hard for me to learn that if I cut my sea grapes tree down, like prune-wise, it would thrive the next year. And what I'm learning in ministry is not to be afraid of pruning ministries or even eliminating ministries or giving them a break. Because if you give ministries that are underperforming a break, if you give committees that are underperforming a break, then the nutrients and resources that go to those ministries and committees 
will be redirected elsewhere and you'll see the benefit. Mm -hmm. And so I know we're sometimes shy about pruning, uh, but, but I think from agriculture, we can learn a lot. The last thing I wanna say, because I'm, I'm working through all these principles I've learned and experienced, and, and then I just come back to scripture that the barriers I face and you face are designed by God to bring us to our knees. And so we, we can read all the best books and know all the best principles, but if we're building the house alone, we're building in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, lean not on all the books you've been reading, acknowledge him in all things and he'll make straight your paths. And then Jesus in John 15 you know, the, the, the vine and the branches, Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And apart from him, verse five, we can do nothing, but abiding in him, we bear much fruit. So it maybe is the first course of overcoming barriers to revitalization, pray. And as the last thing you do to overcome barriers to revitalization, pray. Uh, and that's better than any of the principles I've given you in the 10 minutes or so. <laughs> Thanks, Bryn. Um, a couple of questions as you guys head into your final breakout. And, and Brian, bring us back about five till and we'll, we'll wrap up. But um, the first one is this. What barriers to revitalization are the most pressing uh, right now for your congregation? So as you think about like, what is it that's keeping you from being a revitalized church? What's, what are the barriers? And then the second thing is, if there were no resistance or pushback, um, what committee program ministry in your church would you eliminate immediately? Okay, if there were no resistance or pushback, which kind of goes back to the first question, what, what barriers to revitalization are most pressing for your congregation to address? A lot of times, let's be honest, that barrier is us and our fear. We're afraid. We're afraid of our church failing, like Mike said earlier, we're afraid of someone being mad at us. We're afraid of a family leaving. We're afraid, and because we're afraid, we don't take the steps that God has called us to take. Which, and the only way you overcome that fear, is by connecting to the vine. It's perfect love that casts out fear. Nothing else, right? So it's really, as Bryn just, yeah, not to put too fine a point on it. It does come back to your identity in Christ. So let's go to our breakout session. Our final one. We'll come back at five two and wrap up. Uh, friends. And so thanks, uh, Brian, for doing that. All right. Well, hey, welcome back, friends. Um, if you haven't got it by now, you are being recorded. <laughs> um, no, in all seriousness, uh, Brian has done a great job from the GA office to record all these sessions to keep them on the website. So we thank Brian for all of his hard work. Uh, these, these sessions are available and they'll continue to be available. And as things move forward, you might be asking like, okay, so like what happens next? Well, I just know that there are some plans at the General Assembly level to continue to put resources towards revitalization to help churches that are wrestling with these issues. Uh, we want it to be an ongoing conversation. Um, so look for those opportunities. Uh, Brian is going to send out a follow-up email uh, in the next week or two um, with all he's got on his plate for GA. I don't know how soon he'll get that done, but it will get done. It's going to have just some follow-up resources in terms of books, that we have found helpful um, as your facilitators over the years in our own, again, our own um, journey of revitalizing, helping churches revitalize. 
Uh, and then there'll be uh, just a, a, a portion of the website at the EPC level dedicated to church revitalization. We want to continue to encourage you to look to that um, as more and more resources become available. We want, we want you to know that we're available for conversations. So if you, if you have, if you want to pursue this further with us, we are happy to follow up with you over the phone or over um, Zoom or something like that in the call just to continue to be uh, available to you to help you along the way. Um, but I do think the biggest thing is just wrestling with your own fears in this. So I want to tag back to what Mike says and maybe just kind of end it there, that if your greatest fear is your church closing, if your greatest fear is losing a family in the church, if your greatest fear is having to confront a matriarch or a patriarch in the church who has kind of been pretty entrenched over the years, if that's your greatest fear, friends, then I got to tell you, revitalization is going to be pretty tough. But if your greatest fear is letting down the Lord, I think you'll find that those other fears will fade into the background. There's a great verse out of Isaiah. I wish I could remember off the top of my head. I think it's in Isaiah chapter 11, where it says that we are to fear the Lord and to make him our dread. And if we do that, he will become our sanctuary. So we all recognize, right, that, that, that this weird dynamic that we have with Jesus, where we're supposed to fear him and at the same time, <laughs> love him. And my experience in this whole journey of revitalization is that it just takes great courage. And that courage doesn't is not something we muster up from within ourselves. It is something that flows out of our fear of God. If we will fear God first, we won't fear anybody else. Um, and so just want to encourage you with that, friends, as we kind of head into this, uh, this next season, wherever God's going to lead you, put him first, fear the Lord, trust him for the journey, and you'll find that maybe some of the other fears that you have that are holding you back from maybe leading the change that you know needs to make, God will take care of those. Um, and I know that Brent and Mike would join me in just saying amen to that. And so we just want to encourage you. And let me pray for us as you guys go. And then we'll, uh, we'll say goodbye for now and we'll see where the Lord leads it next. So Lord, just thank you for these dear friends. Thank you for them persisting with um, these workshops over the last several months. Thank you for what you're doing in their lives and their churches. I pray God that you would show them where you have already gone ahead of them. Uh, where you are the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of fire or a pair of pillar of cloud by day that is leading and guiding them. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them ruling elders and teaching elders alike great courage as they just navigate the waters that you've called them to navigate. Lord, we know that you desire your church to really be vital in Christ. And so however that looks, God, in whatever way that looks, we pray, God, that you would just really bless them and encourage them along the way. And if we can be of service to them in the weeks and the months ahead, Lord, help us to be that. Lord, we thank you for all of these things. We thank you for what you're doing in their lives. We pray, God, just a great blessing on them in the name of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, dear friends, it's been great to be with you these many months. And um, Mike Wright's going to be at General Assembly. If you want to connect to him, that would be great. If you want to connect to Brent or myself, we're happy to connect offline as well. Take care. God bless.